This is the Game Misconduct Podcast with Don LaGreca. And welcome to the Monday edition of Game Misconduct. I promised you on Friday we'd get EJ Raddick, and we got him from the NHL Network. You can catch NHL now, 4 to 6 Eastern. I'm sure he's got plenty to say. we got plenty to ask him. How are you, man? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, we're getting... Uh... Well, we're getting down to crunch. We've got one more Game 7 here or series to be decided, and then we'll have our final four teams. And Boy, it's been a crazy month. Yeah, I don't think anybody really expected the results that we have. But, but you know, the one thing I will say, if Dallas wins tonight, you know, you've got – You've got the best team in the West in Vegas advancing to the conference final. It was the second best team in the Central Division, and Dallas was right there to win the Central Division pretty much all year, making it to the conference final. Carolina won their division, and listen, Florida's the outlier, but you know, five minutes ago they won a President's Trophy. So um, I, I know we get caught up in all oh, the NHL's got to be upset. Look at all these small market teams or these non-traditional hockey markets. I'm a hockey fan. I just look at the storylines, and I think they're, no matter what the matchup ends up being out West, and certainly the East, I think, has tons of great vibes and great storylines with 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 Maurice going up against his old team and you know, Brindamore trying to win a cup as a player and as a coach and Carolina finally making it to the finish line. I mean, I, I just think it's it's been a lot of fun, and I'm looking forward to the conference final, whether it's Seattle or Dallas in the West. Yeah, I agree. Listen, there's 32 32- this league it's really hard to make the playoffs it's even harder to make the final four and it's really 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 hard to win the stanley cup i mean that's that's what we've seen this has been a very strange season in terms of what we thought might happen but really as you laid out the vegas Golden knights were the number one team in the western conference and here they are sitting there against the dallas stars team that on the last day of the season could have won the central division they were right there with colorado so uh, you know, those teams are, have had great regular seasons. Florida out absolutely is the outlier in the East and of the four teams, or the for five, I guess, you know, with Seattle still in the mix. And I think Seattle could be in a kind of similar situation as kind of an outlier if they're able to win tonight. And I wouldn't rule that out because, you know, they've won the, the only two elimination games in their history. They won. So uh, we'll see if they can do that again tonight. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, Carolina was uh, the top team in the Metropolitan Division. So if it wasn't for a crazy run by Boston this year, I mean, they might have been the top team in the East. So, um, yeah, we got some good teams, and, you know, we'll see how things play out tonight and then what we have looking forward. Uh, but it's hard to predict. This year has been one that if, if anybody had Florida and Carolina in the Eastern Final, congratulations, you did quite a job. Yeah, you certainly did. And uh, uh, Dallas, I, I had a feeling about Dallas. I picked Edmonton to come out of the West, but um, we all felt that nobody would be surprised if it would be Dallas. But they got a game seven tonight. You know, let's not dismiss Seattle. As you said, they've won their elimination games. Uh, they faced elimination uh, uh, on Saturday, and they won. And what's really interesting, outside of the first two games of this series, EJ, the games have kind of ended in blowouts. So do we get back to what we saw in game one, maybe get a thrilling overtime victory, or, or is, is it could be a lopsided win for one of the two teams? Well, I, I hope it's going to be a close game that will be entertaining to watch right to the end. I mean, it's kind of funny. On this day last year, I think it was May 15th, that Ottinger had that game against Calgary, game seven, where he made 64 saves in a losing effort. 
So I, I think the Dallas Stars would hope that uh, they don't need Jake Ottinger to make 64 saves tonight. Hopefully they're hoping that to make less than half of that number. And uh, But we'll see. I mean, uh, Seattle is not going to be – I mean, they're going to come to play. I don't think there's any question. We've seen that from Seattle with every single playoff game. They went into Colorado. They won a game seven. You know, I think at the end of the day, it's, you know, is Phil Grubauer going to play well enough? And Jake Ottinger has been chased twice in this series. I mean, yeah. He has been chased, and uh, so he's been a guy that has really bounced back well in the in this small sample size of his career thus far. Got really good numbers after uh, a loss or a subpar effort, so you know that bodes well for Dallas tonight. But boy, oh boy, I mean, I, I don't. I, I mean, these kind of these game one game scenario can go either way. So I mean, Dallas has some really great experience within their group. Pete DeBoer is. Well, as a coach, has is a perfect six for six in Game Sevens in his coaching career. So that's you know something to hang your hat on. But I mean, nothing lasts forever. So you know he needs to go seven for seven, and we'll see if he can do it tonight. Yeah, so we're looking forward uh, to that tonight. Uh, should be a lot of fun. ESPN will have the coverage beginning at eight o'clock, so we don't have to worry about the controversy of last night. And, and let's uh, let's go to last night in Edmonton being extinguished as, as they end up falling in, in six games. Wild start to the game. But, you know, sometimes we kind of forget, EJ, and maybe we're guilty of it too, you know, of just how good Vegas was all year. And they don't have, like, star players. But, you know, Eichel is, can be that. Um, they've had their problems in goal. But who hasn't in these playoffs, really, when you look at it? And now and they might have um, been able to figure out the, the goaltender moving forward. But, you know, this is a Vegas team that's got a lot of the pieces from when they went to the Stanley Cup final in their first year. Uh, they've kind of gotten over the, the yips of, of winning at home by finally getting a chance to, to do that in this series. So um, I'm a little surprised that Edmonton bowed out the way they did last night. But uh, kudos to Vegas. They're a really good team. Yeah, they really are. And just one note moving ahead, if Dallas is able to win tonight, Vegas and Dallas played three times this year, and Dallas was a perfect 3-0 and in all regulations. So I always say about matchups and injuries, I mean, maybe in somewhere in Vegas they're kind of pulling for Seattle tonight because Dallas has given them trouble. But uh, Vegas had a great year. They finished first in the West. Full march to Bruce Cassidy. I think he just has done an outstanding job there. Um and, you know, give credit to George McVie and Kelly McCrimmon, too. I mean, they've made a lot of moves there over the course of their, 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 their relatively young history here. They're in their sixth season. and But the move to get Jack Eichel and the move to get Alex Petrangelo, those moves set them up. Like, that's the thing they were missing was a real legit number one center and number one defenseman. And you need those guys to set everything else in motion for your franchise. And you know, now when I look at the Vegas Golden Knights, I mean, that first line they have with Eichel, I guess you call it the first line with Eichel, and Barbashev, who was a great pickup, by the way, from St. Louis, fit really nicely. And Marcia, so, I mean, you know, that's a great, great first line. You have that Carlson line, which is like kind of a second or third line, it kind of interchanges with what they do with Stevenson and Stone and, and Roy and uh, or Wah, and, uh, and then... You know, and then they have a good fourth line as well that kind of, you know, is a, a good kind of energy line. And they look at their defense. It's big and strong. They're, they're hard to play against. Again, it's set up by having Petrangelo at the top. And then you follow that with, 
you know, with a guy like Theodore and veteran like Martinez and Nick Hague. And I mean, like, you know, Zach Whitefoot. I mean, this is, this is a really good team. I mean, they're one through four lines and three pairs of D. And I mean, the only thing you would say is like, you know, they've had a number of different goalies this year, whether it was Logan Thompson or, or Laura Brassois or now Eden Hill. And, uh, you know, they have Jonathan Quick kind of on the shelf there just in case. And, uh, you know, I think they had the kid Patera that played some games this year. I mean, they had all kinds of goalies, but I think they play so well in front of the goalies that they all have a chance to be successful. So it was a great performance against the Edmonton Oilers. They really just wore them out five on five. That was the difference. And uh, you got to give them full marks and give Bruce Cassidy and their whole group full marks. I mean, that has been a really, that was a terrific mm-hmm. team effort by the East uh, tonight. And what they were able to do to Drysaddle, he was having a historic start to the playoffs. He had, what, 13 goals in the first eight games of the playoffs, EJ, and he did not score a goal in the last four and had just one point in those games. Yeah, and he really struggled last night, I mean, especially in the defensive zone. And just, you know, talking to some of my colleagues at the NHL Network, whether it be listening to Billy Lindsay uh, last night on TV or talking to Bruce Boudreaux, um, you know, one of the things that came to mind for those guys is that when when, when you're asking your forwards like McDavid and Dreisaitl to play 23, 24, 25 minutes a night, inevitably what happens to them is that they just, it's not that they get worn out, but they, they, they just have to look to cut corners. They're looking to provide offense. They're looking to cheat the zone and, and, and to go. And like you saw last night on a couple of occasions, I mean, it was a really tough night for Leon Dreisaitl. He got banged around the defensive zone. Jonathan Marshall outmuscled him for a puck. He lost some coverages. And so, you know, that is something I think the Oilers might have to look at moving forward. I know the temptation is just to keep throwing those guys over the boards because, you know, they're such dynamic players. But, you know, this is such a team game. And, uh, you know, to ask those guys to play the 200-foot game for that many minutes and to be right on top of it all the time is maybe too much to ask over the course of, you know, several weeks as you're trying to make a Stanley Cup run. So um, you got to give Vegas, like I said, I give Vegas full marks because when they got their five-on-five game going and got it in deep and, and really worked the defense there, the Oilers, you know, they play that man-to-man zone coverage like a lot of teams do. I'm not a huge fan of that. And, uh, you know, when you don't, you have to be precise with that. And where you're not, you give up or you leave opportunity. And, uh, you know, you combine that with Stuart Skinner, I thought, struggling last night and not really on top of his game again. You know, it opened the door for Vegas to, uh, you know, to really come up with a really strong performance and find a way to win. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The East is set, Carolina versus Florida, and we were just talking about how this team did win a President's Trophy last year, but they made changes. They brought in Paul Maurice, who I think is one of the more underrated coaches in the league. Let's not forget he took Carolina to a Stanley Cup final in 2002, a Winnipeg to a conference final 
uh, just a few years ago. And then the big deal with Calgary, which which didn't look good for a good majority of the season. But now you're seeing some of those components really be put together. So I guess give Bill Zito some credit. You know, he made the bold move. They win the President's Trophy, get bounced in the second round, um, change a coach, makes a blockbuster deal, and looks it looks like it worked out perfectly as his team's now in the third round for the first time since 1996. Yeah, it's really worked out well. I mean, the deal for Kachuk was always a good one for Florida. I mean, the guy had over 100 points this year, and he has just been a real leader for this team, particularly in the playoffs. So... You know, that was good. They lost Mackenzie Weger. Brandon Montreux really stepped up this year and has been terrific for them. He set a, a franchise record for points in a single season by a defenseman, and he's been a huge piece of the puzzle in the playoffs. Uh, you know, and, and something should be said, too, and they know, and in this series, we're going to have all three Stahl brothers playing, you know, on both sides. Jordan will be from Carolina, and Mark and Erica with Florida, but, like, you know, Mark Stahl, like, this is one of those moves you got to give Bill Zito credit for that nobody will talk about. He went out and got Mark Stahl, and he put him with Brandon Montour, and, you know, that was a, you know, an inexpensive uh, move to bring him in. And, uh, you know, Mark, as you remember during his time with the Rangers, yeah, he's an older player now, and he's got a lot of experience, and maybe he's not quite the player he was when he was younger, but... You know, he's a good, stay-at-home, experienced guy. And when you have a roster of 6D and 12 forwards plus extras and there's cap issues, you need to find players that can come in and fit in particular roles. And I think, you know, Mark Stahl being there and playing with Brandon Montour this year has allowed Montour to have the, the freedom to to really pursue his offensive game more. So those are little things also that help you know, help teams and certainly help the uh, the Florida Panthers this year. I think it's got a, it's got a chance to be a really entertaining series. I mean, to me, it's Florida's forwards and four-checking game against Carolina's really strong group of defensemen. And then the wild card is in goal. Carolina has kind of got a goaltending by committee. Right now that committee is led by Freddie Anderson. And on the other side, Bobrovsky was just lights out good since coming back in the Boston series and really, really special in the Toronto series. So, uh, you know, that might be the difference there. If Bobrovsky continues to play at the level he's played at, you know, I'd probably give Florida maybe a little bit of an edge, but I think that has a chance to be a really good series. Yeah, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And, you know, Carolina, they... They just know how to play these types of playoff games, and, and it hasn't bore fruit first time in the conference final since 2019, but they've been knocking on the door a ton of experience. And I was thinking about it this morning, EJ. You know, of course, Rod Brindamore was the uh, was the uh, on that 06 team that won the Stanley Cup, and now he's trying to win a cup as a head coach. I, just thinking kind of aloud earlier this morning, I think what was the last coach to win a cup as a player and a head coach is probably Larry Robinson, right? You know, in 2000. Has, has, has... Off the top of my head, I mean, when you think about, you know, like, uh, you know, Pittsburgh winning cups and Mike Sullivan and Barry Trotz and, you know, Craig Berube, uh, I don't know if he was on a Stanley Cup winner as a player. And, you know, obviously John Cooper did not play in the league. And, and the same thing, you know, with uh, Jared Bednar really did not have, a, you know, any kind of long stay in the NHL. So, yeah, you probably have to go back a ways to, to figure that out. I mean, Joel Quenville was, uh, you know, I don't know if he was a Stanley Cup winner as a player. So, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, you have to go back a while. It's certainly unique. And, and 
you know, when you think about, you mentioned Larry Robinson. I mean, it's the same thing with Rod Brindamore. I mean, Larry Robinson was a great player. I mean, Larry Robinson is a Hall of Famer. Rod Brindamore is not in the Hall of Fame currently, but I think he is someone that merits consideration. And now to go as a coach and have this kind of success is something special. And I think we could all agree Roddy Brindamore is a unique, it's a unique character in uh, in sports, and uh, he's done a really good job coaching. So you're right; it'll be, that'll be a, it's another storyline to watch and see if they can continue moving forward. Yeah, no, no cups for Barube. He was on the uh, he was on the '92 Flames, but of course the Flames won in '89. Leafs, Capitals, so yeah, I, I believe it. So it's not something that happens all the time. And even if those guys did, we're talking about a Hall of Fame player, Larry Robinson, Hall of Fame player. Like it's just, it's a great story in Carolina. They may not have any eye-popping names on the team, but if you've been following hockey for a long time, you certainly know how good the Carolina Hurricanes have been, and they're kind of due for that chance. And it's funny, I didn't even realize it. At the time, um, not remembering, but somebody had tweeted me that I had Carolina winning the Stanley Cup at the beginning of the season. Now, I don't want to take credit for that, considering I did not have the winning at the start of the playoffs, but it could be kind of cool if Carolina does win. All right, the next topic of conversation before we let you go, EJ, of course, is the situation in Toronto. And, of course, everybody's up in arms about them losing, and you can't win with Matt, Austin Matthews, and they're going to blow the whole thing up. And what, what, what do you feel is going to happen there in Toronto? Well, Austin Matthews already talked about the idea that he would like to uh, have a contract extension in place um, prior to next season. So, you know, he's in the final year of his deal, and as of January, uh, July 1st, they could start those, that process. So, you know, that is often the case of what happens. So we'll see. I mean, listen, I mean, Austin Matthews is uh, – you know, he is a legit number one franchise center. I mean, so if you want to move on from him, I mean, do it at your own peril because I don't know how you replace guys like that. So, yeah, it didn't go well in this year's playoffs for Matthews. He didn't have the kind of playoffs that I'm sure he would have liked to have offensively. Um, but, you know, I think they're stuck between a rock and a hard place. And if you're going to start, you know, making all kinds of moves there, I don't know how you replace players like that. So, you know, that they, they would have to have some kind of plan in place to be able to move him to get something something similar, which is, again, those guys just don't, you know, they don't grow on trees. So um, I would I would figure that they would move forward and do some sort of extension with Matthews. I think they have to consider whether they're willing to trade one of those wingers, whether it be Nylander or Marner. I think Marner's the one that is uh, would have more value and would also create more cap room for you. Uh, Nylander has played very well in the playoffs, so I think he's someone that you may want to continue to move forward with. John Tavares, I don't think, is really someone that's tradable. He's got a no-move clause, and he's got a huge contract for a guy that's into his 30s now. So, um, you know, they're kind of limited by the cap. We'll see what happens with uh, with Kyle Dubas, whether or not they're able to bring him back. His contract has expired. There are teams that are interested in his services and, you know, he may decide that, you know, maybe it's a mutual parting of the ways. Hard to say. I mean, I, I would continue to, to try to keep him there. Um, I think they will make a coaching change. I think that's something that's overdue. Uh, I don't think that Sheldon Keefe is a terrific coach, and so you know that's part of the problem. They got to figure out their goaltending moving forward. With uh, you know Matt Murray with one more year left, Stamsonov's deal is up, so they got to do something with him. They got the young Joe Wall, who they like, who's a prospect uh, and figures to be part of things next year. 
And then what can they do with some of these guys they acquired in the offseason that helped their group? So, you know, there's a lot of challenges in Toronto. They're having their breakup day, you know, as we speak. And uh, we're going to hear from, from, from Dubas and Keith later and then Shanahan later in the week. But they've got a lot of challenges. But I, I guess I would sum it up, Donnie, by saying, you know, when it comes to the, those top players, I mean, it's just hard to replace them. So if they're going to move one or any of them, they better have a plan in place to figure out a way to, to kind of get a lot in return. And, of course, there's a lot of rumors that if Dubas gets fired, maybe he goes to Pittsburgh, lets Mike Sullivan go, but then loosens up another coach that maybe the Rangers can add to their uh, list of possible candidates. Uh, do you think there is the possibility that if he is let go, that Pittsburgh would be the destination for him? Well, it's possible. I mean, we've heard those rumors. I think, you know, the Fenway Sports Group, I think, is, uh, you know, their M.O. is would be in line with kind of who Kyle Dubas is. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, might even be a bigger job. It might not be just to be the general manager of the Penguins. It might be some kind of president of sports operations or, or something along those lines, and then he would hire a manager. I don't think it's a given that, Mike Sullivan would be out of there. I mean, Mike Sullivan's got a significant contract that still, uh, you know, exists in Pittsburgh. Now, if he were to become available, and you know, I would think that the Rangers, among other teams, might be interested. I mean, heck, the Toronto Maple Leafs might be interested yeah. uh, in Mike Sullivan. I mean, so um, I don't, I, you know, I, I don't think Mike Sullivan's leaving Pittsburgh, but I guess there's a scenario where that could play out. Um, but I, I think, you know, my feeling is this. Kyle Dubas says, you know, he's had his ups and downs. He got the job as a young man. We could argue about whether they should have just stayed the course with Lamarillo at that time and, and let Kyle Dubas pursue other things. Um, they've made this choice. I think Kyle has learned. I think he is wiser in the position now than he was when he started. I think that's the case with most guys. Um, if I were Toronto, I would pursue keeping him, but I would make it clear that we are making a coaching change. And if he's not on board with that, well, then we'll have to move on from him as well. But I think, you know, I think Kyle is a bright young guy that's learned a lot in five years, and I think he has the potential to continue to do better. And if I was Kyle, I would want to stay there and finish the job. So, you know, we'll see how it plays out. Uh, you know, Toronto is a big market, and there's, you know, there's that whole you know, ordeal of not winning the cup since 67. And that hangs over franchises, just like, you know, we remember it hung over the Rangers until they won in 94. And it's probably starting to hang over them again a little bit now, but that's just the way, the way it is in, in big cities and in, in sports and in the world we live in now. Yeah. So I'll be curious of how it all plays out in Toronto, but uh, I like Dubas. I think he'd be worth keeping if they can but I do think they need to make a coaching change for sure. But it is funny. Sometimes you do have to lose in order to win. You look at Colorado, how many disappointments they had before they finally won. You know, Florida, if they end up, you know, winning the cup, winning the president's trophy and then losing in the second round. I mean, you just mentioned the Rangers in 94. Won the president's trophy in 92, got bounced in the second round, didn't make the playoffs in 93, and then they finally won the Stanley Cup in 94. But unfortunately, there's such a lack of patience 
that you end up blowing everything up. And listen, they've been patient in Toronto. I I get it, but but it's been different. It's been different people over the last nineteen years. Different players, like as presently constituted, they've had their share of disappointments over the last couple of years. But who's to say that they can't roll it back and 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 win a cup with the same team next year? Like it is kind of crazy the way the NHL is. Sometimes it takes a blockbuster deal and the coaching move, and sometimes it just takes one more kick at the can to make it happen. Yeah, look at I would say the Washington Capitals are a great example. Yeah, because I mean they had a number. I mean they came on the scene during you know really as a contender during Bruce Boudreaux's first year there. Right, that was I believe oh seven oh eight, and they ended up winning the Stanley Cup I believe in twenty eighteen, and so that was ten years. With similar, I mean, Backstrom and Ovechkin and Carlson were all kind of part of that, right? I mean, there was some there were some guys that kind of came and went during that span, but it was basically that core, and they were able to add to it with guys like Kuznetsov and some others. But you know, they went through a number of coaches, but they didn't they didn't decide to trade Backstrom or Ovechkin. And the reality is, again, you just don't replace guys like that. So. Um, it's just too hard, and it's too competitive in this league. There's 32 teams now. It's not 21. It's not six. It's not another era. The talent is spread out really in a, in a manner that it, it's hard to compile all these players. I think you need, as I mentioned with Vegas before, they went out and got Eichel. They went out and got Petrangelo. That, without those two players, they're not the same team. Like, those guys set up the whole roster. So that's why when those guys become available, there's kind of a, you know, there's a, that's a big story. And so we'll see what happens, you know, moving forward with the Leafs. But I, I just can't imagine a situation where they decide to, to trade Austin Matthews. I just don't see the upside of that. I don't know what they could get in return that would make them a better team. But I guess time will yeah. tell. What well, they decided. I think in the end, the move is to make the coaching change and then to try to work around the edges and then really determine if you want to move a Marner or a Nylander because I think those are the two guys that you would have to consider. And if you did, what can you get in return to make your team better? Mm-hmm. And you listen, Carolina made some moves. You know, getting Burns was was a big deal for them. But like, you know, they kept Brindamore. Brindamore came in, went to a conference final, and then you know, first round exit, back to back second round exit. They stayed patient with him. They stayed patient with the core of players there. You know, you can make tweaks here and there. So you've got Florida that borderline blew it up. You know, made a massive deal, and then obviously let the coach go. And then you have Carolina that kind of stayed the course and tweaked a little. And they're both in the same place. So there's different ways of going about it. Sometimes you need patience. Sometimes you got to know when to hit the uh, the switch. It's 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 a tough. It's tough decisions yeah. to make. And Carolina is a little bit of an outlier to me. As like you know, Roddy Brindamore is a special player or a special person. He's got a special place in Carolina with that franchise. And you know, they do things a little differently there. That's more of a committee approach. They you know they have Aho as their as their top center right i mean he's he's a really good player but is he at that highest level probably a little bit underneath underneath that but you know they have a strong defense they went you know remember they went from hamilton to d'angelo to burns in that right shot role there so you know they've they've cycled through some players there but uh 
you know, and then they go through, you know, they've had a number of different goalies. So they kind of do things a little differently in Carolina, but they've their approach has proven to be successful. They've had a good path this year um, because they played so well in the regular season. I think the Islanders were probably the path of least resist- resistance in the East just because the Islanders are not an offensively dynamic team. Uh, they got a Devils team in round number two that was uh, that is you know certainly uh, on the upswing, but a young and inexperienced team coming off an, an emotional first round series win um, and with some goaltending challenges. So the path has been good for Carolina. We'll see if they can uh, you know now get through a Florida team that has been a little bit more battle tested and I think will provide the toughest challenge they've faced so far. All right, EJ Raddick. Hopefully, will be able to join us next Monday. And don't forget. You know, you'll be calling uh, the Stanley Cup final for NHL International, so good luck with that. But we'll talk to you before then. But thanks for a couple of minutes, buddy. Really appreciate it. You got it. We'll talk next week and enjoy Game 7 today. Looking forward to it. That, of course, is the great EJ Raddick. Catch him on NHL now, 4 to 6 Eastern on the NHL Network. He'll be back with us next Monday. And as you mentioned, Game 7 tonight, Seattle and Dallas from Big D. Winner advances to the conference final. And they will take on Vegas. No matter who wins, the Golden Knights will have home ice advantage. So that series will start uh, in Vegas. So always great to have a Game 7. It'll be on ESPN. And to me, the best announcer out there for ESPN has been Bob Wischusen. He's been terrific. And this will be his last game because then we'll get to the conference final. um, And then he'll be done. Sean McDonough will carry the load the rest of the way. And the Stanley Cup final belongs to TNT and Kenny Albert this year. So Bob getting a chance to call his last game. But, you know, listening to him all playoff long. It's been amazing, so I'm so glad he's landed this huge Game 7 tonight. A lot of focus around the sports world will be in Dallas tonight to see who will get to go to the conference final face-off at 8 o'clock, so we're looking forward to that. All right, we'll be back on Wednesday. We will have our final four all set, and we'll know who's staying, who's going. Should be a lot of fun, as it is always. And Wednesday will be a big day for us. We'll take your tweets at at Don LaGreca, hashtag game misconduct as the conference finals, the final four will be underway. We'll talk to you again on Wednesday. This was the Monday edition of Game Misconduct. This is the Game Misconduct Podcast with Don LaGreca.